0: This is Perspectives, the show where a conversation about our differences will often show us more about what we have in common. I'm Condes Presley. Here is something that I'm certain we all have in common, a desire to win. Many of us never take the field, yet we feel every hit on every player on our favorite teams. My guest is an author. His name is Jason Reed. He is a sports writer and senior NFL writer for Anscape. That's ESPN's platform for exploring the intersections of sports, race, and culture. Jason's book is Rise of the Black Quarterback, What It Means for America. In this book, he chronicles both the history of black players in the NFL, such as Warren Moon, and the recent careers of groundbreaking black quarterback Colin Kaepernick. Now, I need to let you guys know that Jason and I talked after the first decision about Deshaun Watson from Gainesville and not this week's 11-game suspension and $5 million fine. Jason, welcome. Hey.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: You're talking to a Metro Atlanta audience, and Deshaun Watson is from just up the road in Gainesville. What is your take on the league's ruling and his initial suspension?
1: Do we have a couple of days to talk about this? Because I well, I could we talk got a little this. bit of time. Okay. but I, I can talk about.
0: Is you know, with the breaking news of it all, we should start. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: So everyone knows that there are a lot of people who are up in arms that Deshaun Watson only, uh, and I say only, receives six game, uh, six a six game suspension uh, based on the allegations about the things that happened with him in violating the NFL, the NFL's personal conduct policy and you know i get why a lot of people feel that there should be more here because even though two grand juries in houston declined to decline to indict him the reality of it is the optics of the allegations look so bad that a lot of people feel more has to be done here now the the nfl's disciplinary officer sue robinson who was appointed by the nfl and and the nflpa the nfl's player association she heard testimony from the league from watson's camp from the nflpa and she determined that six gains was, was the disciplinary action that should be handed down. And in her 15 page ruling, yes, she said Watson, this, w- this did not look good. I'm paraphrasing right now, I'm not, this is a verbatim. That this, this was egregious, it was, it was, it was his, his behavior, his conduct based upon what she, what she was told. But it, there wasn't enough evidence in her mind to suspend him for a year, which is what the NFL wanted, and to levy a, a heavy, uh, hefty fine on him as well. And when you read the NFL personal conduct policy, six games in a situation like this, just based on the policy, it, it isn't outrageous. It's kind of in keeping with what you think it might be. Again, you know, we're talking about allegations. He, he wasn't charged. Now, you don't have to be charged with any crimes under the NFL personal conduct policy. But I say all that to say. I don't know what the right answer is because based on, on the allegations. I do know that the NFL has a big problem here. because people don't want to hear about what the policies are and how this kind of ruling might be in line with rulings in the past. There are a lot of people who are just upset that Deshaun Watson only got six games. And now the NFL can appeal the ruling. If they do, we'll, you know they haven't signaled yet that they definitely will. But if they do, we'll see where that goes. But I would be surprised if, if even if the league appeals the ruling, we got to a full season because the disciplinary disciplinary officer, Sue Robinson, said, in fact, that, hey, there were, that she did not see enough to warrant a year of suspension.
0: When stories like this make the headlines, how bad is it for the game?
1: Yeah, well, we can go all the way back to the situation with former Baltimore Ravens running back Ray Rice uh, when he hit his then girlfriend at the time and video surfaced. Uh, of him just acting horribly with her um, in an elevator and then outside of an elevator, and the league is is now very aware of how this situation looks with Sean Watson. And even though no charges were filed and the grand jury has declined to to indict him, the reality of it is the league has to push for more disciplinary action because it's going to make the league just look awful. Fans won't care that. The league wanted him to get a year suspension. That that won't be relevant to to anything. What fans are going to focus on is that all he got was six six games, and that's going to reflect on the league, regardless regardless of what the league's position is. So, I I think they have to push for more. Um, You know, it's a situation where I don't know what the right outcome is in terms of disciplinary action. I don't know. I just, I just don't know what the number of games should be, but I do know this: a lot of people think six is extremely lenient. And regardless of what the policy is and how how the disciplinary officer ruled and how she got to that ruling, all people see is the optics, and the optics are not good.
0: The optics are not good, indeed. Have you always been a sports writer? Yeah. Well,
1: I um, I went to college to be a sports to. I went to college to study journalism, and um, when I started out my career, yeah, I I did a couple of internships when I worked outside of sports, but since I've been a a working professional, graduated from college, journalist, yeah,
0: I've been a sports writer. And how did you luck into this very well-positioned role at Anscape with the ESPN, where you're talking about race and sports and culture?
1: Well, I uh, started my career, I I went to the University of Southern California, in Los Angeles, and uh, after I got out of school, I worked at the Los Angeles Times for a very long time, um, 15 years actually, and I covered the Los Angeles Dodgers there, and then I moved to the Washington Post, where I covered the uh, Washington Commanders now, they used to be called the Washington Redskins, and I became a columnist at the Post, and then after that, I moved on to ESPN as a NFL columnist and a, a senior NFL writer, so... When uh, ESPN started what was then called the Undefeated, and its name has since been changed to Anscape, uh, one of my former mentors, one of my former mentors was brought in to run uh, the Undefeated, and he brought me over from ESPN. It's all part of the same company, but he brought me over to ESPN, and I've been writing about race in, in, in the NFL now for uh, going on seven years.
0: How is it now that your book, with all of the history and all of the stories that you tell, is only being published in 2022 because it was written by you.
1: Well, this is a story that's more than 100 years in the making. It really starts at the beginning of the league, and I, I you know, I don't know why this type of book wasn't done previously, but I know for me that you know in in 19 in 2019, excuse me. I did a project on African-American quarterbacks in the league and how they had this unprecedented year. It just was something like we had never seen before. And going from there, uh, some people told me, we well, should write a book on this. So at, le- at least for me, the reason it's coming out now is because I I did this project and, that pro- and the project led to this. And it's been in the last few years. Uh, and you know what? I'm glad I'm the one to do it.
0: Let's talk about the history of the black quarterback in the NFL. I mean, millennials and Gen Zers really don't have any concept of a time when there was no Patrick Mahomes or other black quarterbacks the way we see them as franchise players today.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and, and that's one of the things that I hope uh, younger football fans would take away from the book. You know, if you were born, uh, you know, before a certain time, you don't know the history that occurred you know, unless you, unless you research it. And it really, it, it's, it's, it's a, a recent occurrence that you have so many black quarterbacks especially superstar black quarterbacks. As late as the late 1980s, early 1990s, you just didn't see many African-American men playing quarterback in the NFL. I mean, now we have Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson and Kyler Murray. Uh, you, there are so many of them now as compared to 20, 30 years ago, and really, for most of NFL history, it wasn't until the late 1960s that you even saw black men being given a chance—just you know, just a, a, a small chance—to play the position. So, this book is definitely about history as well as about you know the current day NFL. But I, I hope younger fans read this and get an uh, gain an appreciation and understanding of where this game is coming with relation to to black players being allowed to play that position.
0: In your introduction, I mentioned Warren Moon. Uh, tell our listeners about some of the other historic groundbreakers, some of those early icons of the sport, Black quarterbacks.
1: Yeah, we can go back to the beginning. We can go back to Fritz Pollard at when the NFL was in its infancy. He was the first Black quarterback. Now, granted, it wasn't the quarterback position we know it today back in 1920. He, he, he lined up at quarterback, but it didn't look the same thing, but he was the first one. He also became the first African-American head coach in the NFL, and he was also the first African-American star. Um, we, go to, we have to really go all the way to 1968. when We see Marlon Briscoe. Marlon just recently passed away, who was the first Black starting quarterback of the modern era when he joined the, the Denver Broncos when, when they were in the old AFL. And then, you know, we talk about other pioneers, Jane Shaq Harris, uh, who played at Grambling University, the, f- the first Black quarterback to, to, to start a season opener and to start in the Pro Bowl. And uh, Doug Williams, uh, who also played at Grambling University, the first Black quarterback to play, to start a Super Bowl game and also win the game's MVP and win the game. Um, and Warren Moon, you know, we, Warren is the only Black quarterback enshrined in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. and Warren had to start his career in Canada because when he was coming out of college, University of Washington in the late 1970s, black men just were not drafted to play quarterback in the NFL. So he had to go to Canada to make his mark. Then he got to the NFL finally after he just played so well, the NFL had no choice and he winds up in the hall of fame. So when we look at these pioneers, when we look at the the game today, these stars of today really stand on the shoulders of, of the Marlon Briscoes, the James Shaq Harrises, the Doug Williams, the Warren Moons, and they have benefited immensely from what those players went through.
0: Back in the day, what were some of the reasons why black quarterbacks were not being drafted into the NFL?
1: Uh, the, 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 the main reason, racism. The the belief of the day, and actually of the day for most of NFL history rather, The belief among the people who control the NFL, the white people who control the NFL, the white men who control the NFL, was that Black men were inherently inferior, that they lacked the intelligence, the the mental fortitude, the heart, uh, the ability to lead men. And so Black men were not given an opportunity to play quarterback because quarterback is the most important position in football, it's the most important position in team sports. And white people just felt that, white men felt that black men were just inherently inferior and inherently incapable of succeeding at that position. I mean, there's really no other way to put it.
0: Is that the reason why in, in some years, as, as this has gone on, uh, young men who played quarterback perhaps in high school and then get recruited to college, somehow get turned around and are not playing quarterback anymore, but instead, become the wide receiver
1: oh that's exactly it that's they become the wide they, they became the wide receivers and the cornerbacks and in some cases the running backs or in some cases the tight end but they were they were moved as a practice it wasn't it wasn't something that there was a well let's evaluate this players as an individual like no if you're a black quarterback in high school um, and I'm talking about as, as as most as recently as the 1970s, early 1980s, if you were going to a major football power college like your University of Georgia, you were not playing quarterback there. You were getting moved to to one of these other positions. And, you know, who knows what, what could have happened for so many of these schools, these colleges, if they had let those players actually play quarterback, but they moved them because again, and especially in the deep South, you were not going to see Black men at major, major football powers in the South.
0: My guest is Jason Reed. He's a senior writer for ESPN's Anscape. Jerry Brewer at the Washington Post said this about you and your work, and I thought it was just like, wow. He said, the NFL journey of the Black quarterback is both an American tragedy and soaring tale of perseverance through racism. Jason Reed writes the definitive heart-wrenching account of dreams derailed, battles won and lost and ultimately a legacy of black excellence that cannot be denied. That surely had to make you feel good.
1: Oh, absolutely. I, and I you, you know you you write a book uh, or any or any type of major project that you put out, you hope it's well received, but but even more so than just being well received, you hope people take something away from it. You hope they take away something that enriches their lives and they feel that it was worth their time spent investing in in whatever you you know whatever the project is the book in my case a book so yeah that definitely made me feel good
0: talk to us about the rise of these these new guys these young quarterbacks who are franchise players we mentioned Patrick Mahomes today you mentioned uh, a couple of other athletes and I want to ask the question what changed
1: Uh, the color green, when, when the money in the NFL got to be so big and the pressure on general managers and coaches became so immense where you you had to win. You, you, these owners, these team owners, they, they just, they're not going to accept these teams losing and, and not having fans packed in the stadiums and, and, and not maximizing profits. Um, So really the color green trumped everything. And once the the league recognized that black players at that position could help help and help the teams win and then make money yeah that's when things change and you know you you talk about today's group of black superstar quarterbacks and i wanted to focus on several of them who actually have had a such a major role in in the evolution of the game Uh, patrick mahomes who is is an outstanding player he he was the he became the at 24 he became the youngest player to have a Super Bowl trophy a league MVP award and a, 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 a Super Bowl MVP award Lamar Jackson Baltimore Ravens he became only the second quarterback in NFL history behind Tom, Tom Brady to be a unanimous MVP Kyler Murray uh, he burst onto the scene rookie of the year he's been a Pro Bowler a couple times uh, there are so many of these guys who, now who we take it for granted that they're, they're superstar quarterbacks and they happen to be black, but it, it didn't used to be that way at all.
0: Tom Brady, I think, turns 45 this month. And after being retired for less than a month, maybe about a month and a half, he's back in the game. In fact, Atlanta's Julio Jones is going to go and catch with him down at the uh, in Tampa Bay. Who among these young league-defining quarterbacks, African-American quarterbacks that you've covered and that you write about, do you see as one having the type of career and longevity of a Tom Brady?
1: Well, listen, I I mean, Tom Brady is the most successful quarterback in the history of the game. I I don't believe he is the most talented, but he is the most successful. He's got all those Super Bowl rings. And to have the type of longevity he's had, you have to be blessed with some good fortune. You know? He did have a, a season ending injury one year earlier in his career, but he has been able to get through the grind of these NFL seasons. I would say that if he can remain healthy, Patrick Mahomes could, could do some, he's already done incredible things, but he could do more incredible things. Uh, I look at a Kyler Murray. uh, I look at a a Lamar Jackson. Now his game is a little different because he relies more on, on his running and his speed to set up his passing. But if he can remain healthy, he could do great things. Russell Wilson, who's kind of a dean of the group, who's now with the Denver Broncos, he's had a great career. Now, in terms of anybody getting to be like Tom Brady and winning the seven Super Bowls, I don't know about that. But I do believe that this current group and other players coming from from the college ranks and other younger Black quarterbacks, uh, Trey Lance in San Francisco, Justin Fields, you know, if these guys can stay healthy and and their organizations can put good teams around them. Yeah, I think the sky's the limit for a lot of them.
0: What can we as everyday people take away from the leadership traits that we see in these young superstar athletes that we can apply in our own lives? Whether it's it's in parenting our own children, and because kids look at they look up to these athletes, how can we take their success and their example and implement some of those? Um, behaviors and, and traits in our own homes.
1: You know, I think about that in my household. I have a 15 year old uh, boy and a 13 year old girl. And I love the fact that they are into sports because you can learn a lot about sport. You can learn a lot, a lot about life and teamwork and perseverance and dedication and, and and focusing on a goal and trying to achieve it. And when we look at these these young superstar black quarterbacks, the amount of work that they have put in to reach the level that they've reached—that's something that everyone can look at and say, "Hey, work ethic—that has to be the foundation." And, and I know with my own kids, I love it when my daughter, she plays soccer. I love it when she wants to go out to the field and work. I love it when my son wants to go with his, you know, with his buddies and run routes because life. Is about seizing opportunities, but you have to put yourself in a position to seize opportunities, and that's doing the hard work on the front end to be prepared and ready when that call comes.
0: So let me ask you this: Is uh, Kaepernick ever going to work again?
1: You know, I wrote back in 2017 that uh, that he that the NFL was done with Colin Kaepernick and that we'd never see him in the game again, and. Look, there's no credible argument from a football standpoint why Kaepernick has been out of the game. He was more than good enough to be on an NFL roster. We can debate how many teams he could have started for. We can debate where he ranks among the quarterbacks, the active quarterbacks, or the quarterbacks who should be active. But th- th- there's just no argument that he should not have been in the NFL. He's not in the NFL because owners, team owners are still angry at him and don't want him around because he messed potentially mess with their money because white fans and I say white fans because the the stance that Kaepernick took polling tells us that the that these reaction to what he did largely fell along racial lines. Generally speaking according to polling black people supported and believed in what he was doing. And generally speaking according to polling white people didn't. So NFL owners were were angry at him, NFL team owners, because white fans were angry and because their corporate partners were angry and they just didn't want anything to do with him. And he was shut out of the game. And now I think that that's still the biggest reason he's not going to get back in. But I, I think another reason is Kaepernick, because of what the NFL did, the NFL made him a martyr and he became this global icon, not just a sports icon, but a global icon. And I, and I, my belief is, is that if any team were to sign him, what would happen is the next time there was a, uh, a, a police-involved shooting with a young African-American male, and the odds tell us that's going to happen again, the, whatever team signed him would be just flooded, by, by, inundated by reporters from all over the country to get his opinion about these things. And I think that owners don't want to have that in their facilities, especially if he's a backup quarterback. And now the backup quarterback has 50 people around his locker. Um, So I I think that his, his celebrity and his icon status is another reason why NFL owners don't want him. But first and foremost, I still think they're just angry at him that he drew attention to these things and he upset white fans. I really believe that's what
0: it is. The book we're discussing is The Rise of the Black Quarterback, What It Means for America. Its author is my guest, Jason Reed. Now, in our next segment, Jason answers the question of whether athletes should use their voice and their platform for activism. And we'll have a new guest and a conversation with the head of the Bronze Lens Film Festival, Kathleen Bertrand joins us. The festival begins in full force in Atlanta in person on August 23rd. 126 films will be screened. Something you see here could be an Academy Award contender in 2023. So please, stay with us. This is Perspectives, and I'm Condis Presley on News 95.5 WSB. Perspectives is a community and public affairs program produced with you in mind. If there's a guest or an issue you'd like to hear me explore, I hope you'd let me know. The easiest way to connect with me is on social media. Just slip me a DM or send me a message. Search Condas Presley on Facebook instagram or twitter and yeah i know you're asking how do you spell condas c-o-n-d-a-c-e and presley has two s's that's p-r-e-s-s-l-e-y friends i appreciate your listening be sure to listen again next week at this same time as we explore new perspectives